Welcome back to the NES Experience. This is your host, Ned. Uh, today I'm here with, as always, with my wonderful sidekick, Tay. Tay, how are you? I'm good. Uh, sidekick is an improvement from an assist ass, so I'll take it, I guess. Still better. Um, today we are now one week removed from Halloween. Uh, I managed to not do too much damage, which is a good thing. We didn't buy candy until the day of, which minimized my pre-Halloween candy con consumption. Uh, and I am steadily hitting the data attacks and the almond joys. Uh, but I am far enough away that I made it out and uh, did not completely destroy my my girlish figure. You? Uh, I'm doing all right. How'd you do on the Kit Kats? Have you refound your love of Kit Kats yet? I did not. I completely dodged the Kit Kats and shopped off my eccentric five list of great candy options. And my kids were on board with that because their jam is like Skittles, which didn't make either of our lists. Uh, and Sour Patch Kids, which actually probably should have reached one of our lists. But they like all the sugar shit. Um, today, the focus or the topic is going to be rotational athletes or the training of rotational athletes versus normal athletes. Um, this was a topic brought up by Tay, and it makes a lot of sense. And especially we're in the season of school weightlifting and everyone doing bench squat, deadlift, and clean um, for the holidays, uh, I feel like we should probably go into when you have a quarterback, baseball player, tennis, golf, throwers. Did I miss any rotational people? Uh, I don't think so. I'm also not the best at figuring out rotational athletes besides throwing athletes. Well, you were. But yes, throwing athletes, people that rotate for a living to make their hay. Um, a lot of the things that we do with a football player, we would do with the baseball player. So when it comes to strength and posterior chain strength and addressing the core, and flexibility and mobility and single leg strength, those are all things that I do with all the athletes. So with all different sports, there's things that overlap and there's things that are different. So today I'm going to talk about um, the things that are different. When I'm done with that, uh, I have to have a, so at the end of this podcast, I have, I have to have a counseling session with you, uh, because of a mildly disturbing and frustrating, uh, communication that I had with some prospective clients. So if I forget at the end of all of this, uh, you will, or if you don't want to listen to the rotational athlete, uh, podcast, you do want to tune into the end where hopefully Dante can help me make sense of, of why this person reached out and said these things and what they're doing, what they're doing. But um, back to people that rotate for a living. So when we look at, there's, as I said, all the things that overlap, we know that there's areas and aspects when you, I mean, you want to know if you're, if you have a rotational athlete, do you know what you should do? You should rotate. I know that's a crazy concept, but rotating more in the weight room is going to transfer over to the things that you do on the field. But even that simple concept with college strength conditioning, 
um, even in private sector, it really doesn't transfer over. It's getting a little bit better, um, but it's still nowhere near it needs to be. So things that that are that you have to focus on more with people that rotate would be rotation and anti-rotation. So we do a lot of core work. We have the core work that's built into the core lifts. Then we have um, a lot of rotational stabilization and rotational power and rotational strength. If you look at a baseball player's workout, generally in every cycle, there is some sort of, ro of rotation or stability that is implemented in it. And um, that is something that we really um, drive home hard. So active active stabilization through the the, the the active stabilization through the groin and the glute and the core while going through various throwing motions. Um, that's one way that we address it. Rotational power. So if you are, because I have actually, I have a tennis athlete in right now, I have a golfer, and then we have a whole bunch of baseball. <clears throat> so our wall is busy. We throw med balls. Um, we throw them in different planes. We use different weights with different focuses, whether it's force driven, whether it's more elastic or reactive. Um, there's specific exercises that are supposed to be done at specific times in different weeks. There's a lot of things to look at because you have to balance their throwing program in the off season. You have to look at some kids really aren't ready to throw med balls. Do they have the base foundations to be able to throw a med ball well? Um, but rotational power is something that's worked and it becomes a focus. If I'm a football player that is preparing for a combine, I am preparing to generally run for 20 steps in a straight line. And the exact opposite of that is, uh, you know, a quarterback trying to improve arm strength or a position player trying to improve exit velocity, or a golfer trying to hit the ball harder. Um, so it's not that the, that all of this core work and extra cuffs, scap rotator mobility, it's not that it's, not important for the football player, but at the end of the day, there are only so many days and so many weeks and months and within a training cycle and in, in a 90 minute period where my program has evolved to where, you know, there's obviously there's always, I'm doing 20% of what I did 10 years ago. Um, it's not that the things that I were doing at that point in time weren't good. It's that you find things that are, you always want to find your best exercises techniques, drills, and, and program that it's, it's, that's going to give you the best bang for your buck. And what I've driven home because we hammer this, this is the sauce that allows all of these measurables to get better, to create opportunities to play at the next level. It all gets driven home to rotation and anti-rotation stabilization through the core rotational power. That doesn't mean if you just take five of these exercises off Instagram and do them, that you're good to go. This is all integrated and in working together with all of the things that you're doing inside and out in the weight room. Um, all of the off-season skill development that you're doing, all of this has to be balanced. It all has to be monitored because everything, training is a stressor that we went over in the last podcast. So those and if those stressors are overdone you're gonna one of the things is you're gonna get hurt or you could get sick so it's that's why you need in-house real person with hopefully a really good 
athlete that communicates and you guys are bouncing back and forth to manage the load, the intensities, they're communicating you with what their deficiencies are based off of their mechanical analysis. And we're really honed in more with a lot of the structural things that go along, you know, with the core. Um, but, and then if we're looking at the kinetic chain that moves right up into the T-spine, so you have a mobility component, that doesn't mean if you do one T-spine exercise and you're checking that box and you're good. Um, but it's the tissue work that needs to be done along with the strengthening and, you know, the overdeveloped or underdeveloped muscles, um, which also goes into massage, which is why if I send you, I have a kid right now that he goes to put, he goes to do a serratus wall slide. I don't know if you remember those. I'm demoing it right now to help with scapular retraction, opening up the acromial space in the shoulders. It's a basic level one physical therapy exercise um, <clears throat> that you should be able to generally get in the position. He can't put his elbows or his wrists on the wall. Like you are locked up, your trap, laps, serratus, pecs, everything is just completely locked up. You need to, and we've been doing some of the exercises and it's troubleshooting. Like. I'm going to have you do these things and that should get you where you need to be. Well, now we need to start looking at the massage aspect and you won't get a massage. And it's like, dude, just go get the massage. And it's, it's massages and very interesting thing. My baseball players get worked on almost more than any other sport because it really does, you know, with football, the, all the massages is basically, yo, I'm hurt piecemeal together and make me healthy. But with, you know, baseball is a game of such small, finite movements, and and it's so neurally driven that being having not a lot of mobility or not having a lot of these aspects is going to play a big role in what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go. So, you know, the T-spine progressively doing a lot of different things, coming at different angles, working ISOs and ranges of motion, using various tools of resistance and not resistance to do that. Those are all things that we need to do. <clears throat> and then that goes up to the shoulder and just doing band nine band zero degree external rotation. That doesn't check the rotator cuff box. If you throw things for a living, you have to strengthen your decelerators, which we've been over in the baseball stuff. Um, so the, we do, a, they do more base people that throw things for a living do just a whole bunch of, of scap work and, and work on the shoulder complex because it is, you know, when you look at the shoulder joint, it has a lot of mobility and what you don't get when you have something with a lot of mobility is there's no stability. Um, so you have a mobile unstable joint that is asked to do things like throw a ball hundred miles an hour and throw a football 75 yards or throw a football you know, it's, it's immeasurable. It's like, uh, Tay, we know you had a D one arm strength. So this wasn't obviously one of your things, but I train football, I train quarterbacks and they just do this stuff and they throw harder and how hard you throw. It's the tick. It's like, yeah, that guy throws, he's a D three guy. And then you look, he's got D two arm strength. There's literally like D one arm strength, generally D two, unless you have somebody like you that had D one arm strength but maybe had less than D1 feet and uh, uh, and speed. Well, I speed was not my game. Um, 
I mean, I had the uh, the option to go. I for for me playing time, and uh, I was kind of I had two high school coaches who went to Union, really sold me there. I had a good recruiter, and uh, but in terms of arm strength, and I will say this: my footwork was impeccable. I had great footwork, great mechanics, and that's the only reason why I was able to play. Um, Already, no personal attacks, uh, but. Rotator cuff, scap work. You're about ready to say something. Yeah, I, I was gonna. To I was just gonna say. Do you want arm strength? You want to pretty much just tear apart the hands of anyone you throw the football to, and that is what D1 arm strength is. Anyone who plays catch with you, their hand should be throbbing and bleeding when you're done. And my job is to get people to have get bloody hands. So, um, that is something that we hammer home a lot. And then, obviously, you're at the shoulder. That works down to the elbow, taking care of the elbow. We do a lot more with tissue work and band work to just drive blood flow in there. Oxygen-rich blood to help speed up recovery time. That was something that 10 years ago I didn't do at all. And then wrist and forearm development, not trying to have forearms like Mark McGuire, um, but uh, you know, addressing the needs that you need to do because it plays a role. And when you throw a ball for a living, the wrists, the fingers, and also the mobility um, of that. Because training and doing wrist curls all the time, and but not getting in there and doing tissue work to break it back up, losing wrist mobility. I can't. I, I, I have to assume that would not be good. And you know, I'm not a major league pitcher or a PGA golfer, or any of those things, but you want to generally have, you know, good mobility and you want to have healthy wrists. So, um, and that those are real important and athletes throw things for a living. So we're working the whole kinetic chain. Um, and then I kind of went in a different way, but when you go waist down, you know, hip mobility is a thing for all sports. It does transfer over but that I'm doing more hip mobility work than I did with all athletes across the board because of their nature of their sport and their, and their lack of wanting to do things on their own. So now I have to do, I do more flexibility, mobility, and tissue work in-house to make sure that it's getting done because that is transferred over to a lot less health problems um, and, or not health problems, injuries, you know, with the athletes. Um, so that would be, you know, a lot of different, I pretty much hammered core pretty well. So I'm going to, or the whole kinetic chain and the various stabilizing muscles and rotational strength and rotational power, easy one to do. We do, you know, it's a dumbbell based program. When you, when you barbell squat or barbell bench, it puts more pressures on your shoulders. When you squat or front squat, it puts more pressures on puts more pressure on your wrists and elbows and shoulders. I'm not trying to make the, I'm trying to take care of that's the money maker. I don't want to, I don't want to put people in positions. That's why I'm anti front squat for most people. Um, and honestly, back squat, I don't back squat. I do speed squat, variable resistance to work on the force velocity curve to improve explosiveness and help with being more twitchy, but the heavy loaded squats are just, especially with, you know, quarterbacks have to do it because they're a part of the team. But, you know, we're getting to the point where, you know, in-house, I won't even squat the quarterbacks. It's just not necessary. 
Um, so those are a lot of the things. Dumbbell is just easy. You got a quarterback, give him a Swiss bar, give him dumbbells. You have a baseball player and versus a football player, just give him dumbbells. And that's, you know, the sad thing is they're kind of doing that now, but it should have been done. This is something that should have been done 30 years ago. So you don't, you're not a great program. Oh, I'm, we're sports specific or we're football. Shut up. We No, that's just common sense. Um, I do like landmines. So 10 years ago, I didn't do much landmine work. I like if you are going in an inclined position, it allows your body to move around in space um, to allow the upward rotation of the scap because we want that upward and down rotation to occur. Um, but what we don't want to do is put your, the body in fixed positions to pinch and piss off, you know, the anterior shoulder. Um, so overhead movements, I feel like at this point in time, I don't even need to go over why you shouldn't do military press. If you throw things for a living, especially with your generally unstable and, you know, internally rotated shoulders. And then you want to put something overhead. And then before you know it, you're the guy at the gym going like this with your shoulder in a circle, holding the front of your shoulder because it burns because you have biceps tendonitis. So those are obviously things that we're not doing. And some colleges are getting better at not putting inclined bench and military press into the program. It goes through phases. So you can't be like, oh, I got a great program because you know, we don't do those things. Yeah. But your front squat, your heavy front squat ain't. And I already went over the reasons I'm not going to go over now why that's not good. So, um, another thing that we do BFR training. So BFR training was originally done with me. I started about eight to 10 years ago with your boy, Arkel Newsom to make his biceps bigger so he could pass the look test for the NFL. So that's where the reason why I started using for complete vanity but what I do now is it's another thing that I use. I use it in the end season a lot for throwing athletes to take care of the elbow um, and use it as re basically recovery. So a BFR allows them to get an end season workout without, you know, a BFR. That's the cuff that you hook over there. But I do B was I doing BFR with you or no? Uh, not with me, but I have seen it done. So it's not the be all end all, but what you do is you take these pieces and you figure out how to implement it into your program to get optimal results. And it was originally used for vanity. And now we use it for, you know, taking care of your elbow and elbow flexor extensor recovery. So, um, so that those components are one part of working with the throwing athlete. And then you have to look at, all right, well, what you do is not just drop back and throw. The unfortunate reality is you have to get to the point where you have to move around. So, you know, when you look at a quarterback, so we have all the things that we're focusing on to get him to throw the ball better, but we also have to work in bursts. So acceleration, working on the first 10 yards of sprinting, and also, nobody has faster feet than you, Dante. So we did a lot with footwork and foot speed. So when you put those things together, what we don't spend a terrible amount of time on, unless you're preparing for 40s or you need to for some reason, is like top end max velocity running. Because how often are, unless you're Lamar Jackson, how often are you, you know, taking off for your 70 yarder, you know, 
unless maybe you were that guy, but most aren't. Um, you know, if I'm a position player for baseball, we're looking at change of direction. We have to train all facets of movement, so acceleration, multi-directional movements, and change of direction, and then top end speed because they do everything. And then you got the golfer. So right now I have a tennis girl and a golf girl working together, and they're the same age, too young, 12, 13 years old, new to the weight room. So they're both just generally terrified because they're in the room with ranging from whatever, 15 to 28 year olds. And they're like 13. The one girl doesn't even have Instagram, which is ridiculous. Um, so they have, I, the program that they have is very similar. Um, cause when you look at tennis and golf, um, the movements and the swings you're looking at and throwing athletes, you know, their difference is one don't move. So I went to the tennis girl. I'm like, all right, so two days a week, you're going to be with T program, T's program, the golfer. And the third day, you're going to do the movement with the open field athletes, you know, football and basketball. And she was just like, I don't want to do that. I'm like, well, I don't care because you do a whole bunch of change in direction. And you, I mean, tennis players move around like basketball players. So change of direction is the number one, most important thing. Number two is acceleration and being, having that better five to 10 yard burst in close spaces. And then, you know, you're never running around unless you're chasing after the ball with no fence in the background. That's some Indiana shit. Um, so that's not a dress. So, but the, so she's mad, but then the golfer is just laughing. It's just like, yep, I don't have to move around for a living. Um, so you have the base things that all of these people that throw do. And then the other parts of the program becomes custom according to each individual position or the sport. If you're a shot put and discus guy, we ain't, we ain't doing, you don't have to change direction. You don't, you know, we do do that. The most I would do is like 10, you, they do need burst. They need more burst than anybody. So your high level throwers are, if you could put them against an NFL lineman and they're going to be competitive with them because you have to be that explosive to throw a ball 76 feet without taking steroids like Brandy Barnes. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? You being, being that big, you're a golfer. I'm sure you're a dominant at tennis, uh, D one football player. So, I mean, you have, there's a lot of overlap with you and this. So thoughts on the things that I said, and you've been through it all. Yeah. Um, big rotational guy throwing athlete. Uh, I went through a lot of those workouts that were specialized, uh, you know, to rotational stuff with you. And I went through a lot of the workouts that were just, you know, grab the barbell, let's bench squat, deadlift and clean. And the, the specialization in the workout really does make a difference because it is all in just like your hips and just the ability to, to get those core muscles going and generate that force and that torque. Transfer and, the force. Yeah. Efficiently. Yeah. It's just so huge. And it's one thing to do it throwing a ball over and over again and train that way and try and, you know, snap your hips faster, you know, just through sheer willpower and muscle memory. When you add in the actual sports performance training aspect to it, 
it like things just click and work. So that it's needed if you're a rotational athlete you need to do the the extra work for it. it you can't just go out there and throw or just go out there and swing yeah and the tough thing is because my field has become so watered down as what people think now is okay we'll do uh, if i do dumbbells instead of barbells and i do external rotation and if i throw a med ball i mean Sound is real good in here. Um, if I do, if I have six different exercises that I do, one core, one shoulder, one hip, one mobility, then it's now, you know, custom and, and, and good. And they roll that out and it's just not that easy. If I only, I wouldn't have 500 different exercise progressions if I could just do one thing over and over and over again, we turn it over. So it's being harder for the consumer to, this is me ranting on my alleged competition. Uh, it's harder for the, con it's all looks the same. So when you go to NES and you see them do something there in the, versus the guy who's jacking something off Cressy and he puts that on there, you know, um, it's becoming very easy for them to look like me, but ultimately you just are doing performance meatloaf. Um, but if you are doing a program, there's that problem, but then ultimately there's the problem. If you're, if you are training with a trainer right now and you're not rotating, um, and it doesn't, and it looks like a more football based program, you are moving in the wrong direction. You need to take action. Um, <clears throat> before we wrap this up, I wanted to go over uh an inquiry i got for training uh i was contacted by an individual and it was for training for their son and he's a baseball player he is 13 years old and when i got the uh, the write-up it was <clears throat> he is coming off tommy john surgery which means he would be probably about under a year so at 12 years old he had tommy john surgery um i get as i said i don't get to control what goes through the door you never know what you're going to get you just have to kind of formulate a game plan so when i hear somebody at that age with such a severe injury to and i have to kind of prepare for that i have to give a recommendation good news it's baseball season um my pro guys are in week three my college guys are in week seven my high school guys are in week you know five um now I don't even have any middle school, but our baseball program, I just scale it down for a 13 year old. You turn similar things that are age appropriate um, for you. Over glorified physical therapy, honestly. That's what I do with 13 year olds. I do a whole bunch of physical therapy um, to basically strengthen everything. Um, so I take all this information down. The first thing that I say is the best thing to do would be for you to come in. I would like to go over the anatomy of the program um, and go over all the X's and O's and sit down with you and kind of hear your story. And she comes back with, uh, we can't come in right now because he is currently playing fall ball and he has things going on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. 
he has things going on six days a week. Wait, what what's the only day he's not Friday? Friday. Yeah. So it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, like so she's like, Can we can I reach out to you in November? Anyways, it's very disturbing. It pisses me off. It's frustrating. Um and it's the world that we live in now. Honestly, the kids should be playing basketball right now. I mean, honestly, he needs he should have been to me the minute that this happened. But if you choose not to do me, that's fine. But I mean, it's not easy to 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 tear your UCL when you're twelve years old. And I completely apologize if, you know, there was some crazy maybe you got hit by a car. Maybe that's it. I think that might be it. That could take that that could completely shit all over this story. If but it's a throwing get, injury though. Huh? If it's a throwing injury though. I mean, yeah, I'm just I'm being an asshole, I guess. But I just I just don't under I just I can't wrap my hand my head around somebody that's doing something six days a week at the age of 13. I have no one. There's no one that does anything six days a week. The I only like people that, that should Fridays be, are open. Were you the one that said the only people that should be playing baseball right now is the people that are in the World Series? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, that's really it. Because um, when you get to the end of October and you get to the beginning of November, it's that's really all that should be going on and i get the fall ball and i get all that stuff but i feel like that is more so for getting looks at like the next level you're looking for i feel like a yes you're a junior and you have no you're a junior late developer whatever you're a junior and you and you need to get late time exposure to make a stab at getting something by your senior year this is fucking 13 it's embarrassing so, um, yeah, that is going to be something else when I meet with them, which is coming, which is coming up soon, but, um, come on, go play another sport, go play basketball. Don't throw things. Can you just not throw, can you just not throw things person that throws things? And I feel like too, having ucl surgery at that age it's there's gotta like it has to be from overthrowing unless it's a a really weird freak injury and if it's a weird freak injury wouldn't you also want to kind of i don't want to say baby your way into it but you're so young you kind of can which is nice yeah I, i pulled my achilles and i i took six months to recover from that that was before i met you and i was like People said, oh, yeah, you know, you'll you'll be playing basketball by the end of the year. And I, like, did it in January. They're like, yeah, you'll be six weeks. It took me six months. And that was because I, I wasn't going to run. I wasn't going to do anything else to it because I had football camps coming up in, in six months from then. Yeah, no, the, what you have on your side when you're 13 is time. All you have all the time in the world to do things right. Yep, time is on your side. Rolling so, Stones. Thank you, thank you for uh, being my counselor. Uh, on my therapist, sorry, my therapist. Um, for that situation, I got one more thing before we get off. 
tis the season of drinking too much caffeine. Um, what I've been experimenting with, there's research that comes out by delaying caffeine intake 90 minutes in the morning. It has a whole bunch of good things that it does for you. So um, I don't know if you've ever had the large iced coffee in the morning. That's 170 milligrams. And then the large iced coffee at two, um, the other 170. Um, but I've been, I'm frequently the double caffeine guy. And uh, I was like, you always want to shake it up because now you're drinking two large iced coffees and it doesn't feel, you don't have more energy. It, you kind of just have enough to, you know, get through all the shit that you're going through. So hit the delay. I know it sounds miserable. I actually have an athlete in high school right now where she has been banned from caffeine because she's been banging like three or four Celsius's, which is 600, oh, 800 milligrams. Those are so good though. Those are yummy. And I'm not endorsing this because this, this is a sports performance podcast, but if you're talking about performance of vodka Celsius, wow. Um, I don't want to say that I've had that, but I have. So here's the yep. thing. And this is why I wanted to bring up the caffeine thing. So um, I am pro caffeine. It's a performance enhancement drug, um, but it's picking your spots with it and not having too much of it, which is why I try and educate my athletes and give them strategies um, to be able to use it as an asset. So for me personally, now there's also research that says taking caffeine has a negative effect on your performance when you work out. But I, from a personal perspective, I mean, I need caffeine, man. Give me some caffeine. I'm going to save it. And this is what I do. So I have, I drink two bottles of water in the morning when I get up, um, bang two bottles of water and hit your delay two hours. And I have more energy, the same or more energy. It's terrible for the first three days. Um, I have more energy in the morning now than I do with coffee and I'm getting better sleep at night. See how everything's coming back to the fucking sleep thing and the water thing and the basic thing. Um, so I do that and then that gets me to two o'clock. I'm good till two and then two o'clock. I'm like, yeah, hit me. And then I have my Celsius 200 milligrams for the Celsius. I don't bang the Celsius. I start the process of drinking it. So I, I take half of it. So I get my hundred milligram dose. I then wait a couple hours, hit another hundred. That gets me to seven o'clock. I'm taking in half the amount of caffeine. I'm using it when I need it. I mean, life is great right now. Chug two bottles of water and start your caffeine at two o'clock. And when you get a headache on the first day, just take an Advil because you're going to get headaches. You, I feel like you've definitely cut caffeine out before, right? I, I wasn't a caffeine drinker. So, I mean, if you don't know by now, now, you know, I, uh, tore my ACL junior year. Uh, didn't really play at all after that. Was still on the team, just didn't see the field. Uh, before that, I did see the field, but my playing days when I actually played, no caffeine at all. Not a caffeine guy. Net, then I started drinking coffee. Holy fuck, was that a terrible decision? I am addicted. I haven't cut it out, but I was the two, sometimes three a day, caramel large swirl. coffees. Yep, caramel swirl. Um, 
It's 160 now, grams of sugar in one day. Yeah, it was really bad. Well, you know, a third I, of a pound. Yeah, it was really fucking terrible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, I'm drinking that. We talked about a few podcasts ago, but the Stella Blue stuff. It's a lot less sugar. I even got some new farmers market the other day. Got some new jams where they make them with less sugar in Vermont. So we're on the less sugar train. Sugar's the devil. Um, yeah, I am completely spacing because I, I will say this. You've been saying, oh, I got one more thing. I got one more thing. I have written down two questions for you on rotational stuff I wanted to ask you before the podcast ended. And my mind has just completely shifted to that and not what we were talking about. But the other thing I did want to say, as I remember what we were talking about, is I've been called many things on this podcast. An assist ass, uh, a sidekick, uh, a therapist, psychologist now. And I'm going to go for a budsman or a budsman, however you pronounce it. I just want to say this as we discussed this last podcast we recorded. I am, I have great footwork. I, I am a footwork guy. My footwork is impeccable. My footwork is the only thing that allowed me to play. And I, I worked it so hard. And I, I, come on, I, that speed ladder, I didn't go through it fast, but my feet were good. And my feet were fast. I, I'm just not fast afoot. If your feet are fast, then you're going to be fast through the ladder. Well, fast feet. No, but I'm not. I'm not fast. I'd get fast through the ladder, but I couldn't run fast like through the ladder. Like, right. But like I'm, I'm burst after the fast feet and have like to I'm, make a move. I'm fleet of foot, but I'm not like fast of foot. Like, but I in quarterbacking though, a lot of it when you do your drop back is just you falling backwards. So if you throw your weight, you fall backwards faster than you can run backwards because gravity's pulling you. And that's science. But as we go back to our rotational athletes, uh, really it's just the same question in two different ways. So I'll just ask it once. Um, so obviously when you throw a ball you throw it with your dominant hand you're throwing it on one side you're rotating to one side when you swing a golf club you're swinging it with one side rotational to one side and you do that very often uh is there any like exercises or anything like that because i mean i didn't do them when i was throwing that you should do to kind of like counteract or anything like that you know all of those rotations to one side so, I mean, generally we train <clears throat> dumbbell-based training allows you to train one side and the other side. So that's another reason why barbell-based training, if I'm benching and I'm a left-handed pitcher, I'm going to be producing more force on my left side and continuing to overdevelop that. Whereas by breaking it down single arm, single leg, it allows, you know, most people that are, you know, right-handed, right-footed, right-side dominant, you know, they'll do a, whatever, a 50 pound Bulgarian and it'll be not that hard on the right side. You can't even do it on the left. So severe cases, we actually load the, the, the side that can't do it. I mean, in the beginning, we'll load it on what the weak side can handle. 
And then, so you're not getting as much work on the dominant side and you're getting more work on the non-dominant side and eventually that balances out. So from a strength perspective, by just doing as much single arm, single leg stuff as possible, that helps. Stretching, you're gonna stretch both sides. You're, by stretching the not overdeveloped side, you're gonna get very little mobility change. And then by stretching the tight side, you are going to get a more rapid change, eventually getting those two things close to equal. I've seen some scenarios where we actually have to do double, double volume on tight side um, versus the other side. Just And then that's also when the massage gets kicked in to where now we're doing double volume that side. We're still not getting a response. Now we have to do more tissue work to get a release to be able to get the mobility that we want. So, um, I don't know if I answered your question, but I mean, that's no, what no, we do I as far so. as over dominance. Yeah, no, that, that all makes sense. Especially with, you know, sometimes you got to do a little bit more on, on that side, or if it's a little tired, you got to stretch it out and then eventually it all kind of balances. I mean, no, I, but what I'm not going to do is if I'm doing shoulder cuff work i'm not just and i'm gonna live with the left-handed pitcher i'm not just gonna do the left side well that's right. the ball that I, I don't do shit with my right side so why do i gotta well injuries can happen on the right side also you could fall down the damn steps that's why you need to do cuff work on the right side because if you fall and you and you catch it with the non-dominant hand you can snap your shoulder good stuff um so yeah i think that's gonna do it for this episode of the nes experience uh make sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and our youtube channel we greatly appreciate it leave a comment if you'd like uh i am wearing all red attire go bucks ned is in his bristol blues uh comment your favorite color maybe who who knows leave something positive it's ask why we're a headband all the time you ask why you were actually sam did ask one time she was like why is ned's head like that and i was like like what and she's like oh there's something on his head i was like yeah it's a headband he's like oh it's like okay um yeah but yeah other than that i believe this has been another episode of the nes experience